All right, uh, if you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now we're not really skipping ahead. Don't get so excited. I know I've taken six weeks to get through the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're not skipping that far ahead. I'm just uh, continuing on where we left off last week where we talked about uh, being saved. And, and once we're saved, we're always saved. And this week I want to talk about how we know that we're saved without a doubt. And I, I chose this text because I think it's an important text in that regard. And then several months from now, whenever it is that we reach this text again, I'll preach it. And thank goodness God's word's deep enough. You don't have to preach the same sermon twice out of the same text. So you'll get something else when we return to it. But look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. And I'm going to read down through verse 11. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and that He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? By the grace of God, I am What I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they. So we preached and so you believed. Now, last week we were in first Corinthians chapter one. And again, I'm just sort of picking up where we left off. We uh, we spent our time talking about the idea that once we're saved, We can't lose our salvation. And based on the goodness and faithfulness of God, we know that's true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it says that God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we said that that's based upon our certainty that we can know that we'll be sustained to the end is based on this fact in verse 9, where Paul says, God is faithful. So remember, it's not your faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. As a church, by the way, I meant to mention this, next week we'll be starting our members class and we'll be walking through who we are as a church and the things that we believe as a church starting at the very beginning. I would encourage you to be a part of that during the Sunday school hour. But this is one of the things that we would say as a church, we affirm this doctrine. Call it what you will. You could call it the doctrine of eternal security. You could call it the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. You could call it the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. But the idea is that God has begun a good work in you through Christ Jesus, and He will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. It's God's work. But the issue that seems to be unresolved, I think we made a good case last week. I think that I made a good case last week, not because of me, but because of God's word. I think the case was made that we're not losing our salvation. 
If you've really got it, you're not losing it. But I think what we left unresolved, in fact, I know what we left unresolved because several of you came to me after the service last week and said, oh, I'm so glad you said you were going to deal with assurance because I was starting to wonder, how can I know then? I mean, if, if I know I'm saved and I'm always saved, but how can I know that I'm saved in the first place? You ever had that question in your own heart? I remember a boy, as, as a boy, I struggled with this. I don't know why. I have some things that I, that I really can remember as, as a younger boy. This was one of those things that, that I thought about a lot. I remember laying in my bed, once, particularly when I was living in Beltsville, and my dad was the pastor at Beltsville Baptist Church, and I would lay in my bed at night, and I can remember nightly, nightly, that I would go through this routine with myself where I would think about my salvation. Now, I understood the gospel. I understood the gospel at this point in my life, I had already believed the gospel. I'd been baptized. I had been taught well. I was understanding. I knew that once you're saved, you're always saved. But I really struggled with this. And so every night I would lay in my bed and I would think to myself, I wonder if I'm really saved. And I would lay there. And one of the things that I would do every night is that I would go through all the things and I would try my best to think of every single sin I committed that day. Have you ever done that? I don't, I wouldn't waste too much time on that. If I were you, you'll drive yourself crazy. But I would, I would think through all the sins and I would confess them one by one. And then sometimes I'd remember one. I'd say, oh yeah, and this one too. And I'd ask for forgiveness for everything. And I had this little thing that I'd do at the end where I'd say, and for every sin that I've forgotten... And I'd ask forgiveness for that. And then when I got done confessing all my sins, then I would make sure that God knew that I believed that Jesus was my Savior. And I did that every night. And I want you to know that I did that for a reason. I did that because I wanted to make sure. I never seemed to be able to be sure. I would wake up in the morning pretty sure I was saved. By the time I went to bed at night, I wasn't sure anymore. So every night I kind of got saved again. Every single night. Now, not really. You know, that's not how it works. But that's how it was working for me. I was struggling with it. And I think that every Christian, I think that every person in this room, if you're being honest, there's been a time in your life, maybe it's right now, there's been a time in your life for every Christian in this room where you struggled. Maybe it's just for moments. Maybe it's for days. Maybe it's for weeks. Maybe it's for months. But you've struggled with this question. Am I really saved? I mean, sometimes you look in the mirror and the person looking back at you. You just think to yourself, there's no way that person's really saved. I mean, let's just be honest. And then the whole thing becomes even more complicated when we read passages in the New Testament where Jesus himself tells us that not everybody who thinks they're saved will be saved. I read this last week, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, listen to this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
I mean, the simplest way to look at that passage is to understand that Jesus is just saying that everyone who thinks they're saved is, saved is not actually saved. That it's possible for you to be self-deceived. And that's a frightening thing, isn't it? And it's especially frightening when you think about the people in Matthew 7 and how he describes them. I mean, these aren't people uh, who don't have an appearance of being saved. How do they address Jesus? Lord, Lord, with their mouths, they're confessing. Then they say that they're doing things in the name of Jesus. They were religiously active. Yet Jesus says, I never knew you. I mean, so just follow me for, for a minute here as I just sort of summarize the last two weeks to this moment. First of all, we understand that, that people can be saved from God's wrath by God's grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's hope for us through Jesus Christ. We get that. We understand that. And we understand clearly that once we've applied the blood of Jesus in our lives, once we've believed in Jesus, He becomes our substitutionary atonement. He literally takes our place. He who became or who who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. So he takes our place. And once we're saved, Jesus tells us, and then Paul tells us over and over and over again that once we're saved, we're saved completely and we'll never lose our salvation. But we also know and understand that some people think they're saved and they're not. And so we have that agonizing question. That question that feels like a ton of bricks until we resolve it. And the question is, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? How can I know for sure that I'm saved? And we find a really good answer here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is why we're here. Find a really good answer. And I want us to just focus on the first two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to walk you through them, and I believe that we can know for sure that we're saved. Listen to what I'm going to say to you right now. Mark this down, write it down if you have to, turn on your iPhone and record my voice if you have to, but listen to what I'm about to say. I believe we can know for sure that we're saved. I don't believe that Jesus wants you to be tortured all of your life, wondering, am I saved or am I not? I don't believe that. I believe that we absolutely can know that we are saved. And I believe that Paul gives us a simple plan for assurance in the first two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's ask the question and then let's just answer the question. How can I know for sure that I'm saved? How can we know for sure that we're saved? First of all, first of all, we know for sure that we're saved because we believe the gospel. That seems really simple, but just... Follow me here for a second. Look at verse 1 again where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. And then later on, as we were reading down through that, when we got to the end of the passage I read earlier, Paul said, I preached it and you believed it. Right? You remember a few weeks back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, we see there that Paul says that this message has been confirmed in them. The testimony about Christ has been confirmed in him. And even there, Paul's reminding them that he preached the gospel to them and they believed the gospel. And then in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15, he gives us a summary of the gospel. So look at it, verse 3. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. By the way, there's something there that we need to understand about what we're doing here and when we gather and who we are. Paul tells us right there, and we have on the authority of God's word, that the thing that's of highest importance for us and in the world is the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And now he's going to define it. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's just a summary statement of the gospel. So the first step is have, to having assurance is to have believed in the gospel. There's no other way. You will never have assurance until you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Like, understand what I'm saying. If, if you haven't really believed the gospel, then you're right to wonder, am I going to hell? Is there's only one way. We cannot have any assurance any other way. Like some people will try desperately to work their way into the good graces of God. They'll try desperately to do enough and to live in such a way that we can please God with our works. You'll never have assurance that way because your works are never good enough. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know it. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean. How many of you know that? You're a sinner. Come on. Like, really? You know that? But listen to what he says next. Because that's not hard. Like, I don't struggle with that at all. Really. I hope you don't. Like, I don't struggle at all with the idea that I'm a sinner. I know that. There's abundant evidence in my life. But what says next in Isaiah 64, 6 should really rattle us. He says, we've all become like one who's unclean, so we're all sinners. And he says, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Now just think of that. So it's one thing to say I'm a sinner, but it's another thing to say that every good thing I can possibly ever do, when I place it before God because of my sin, it's still just a filthy garment before God. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Your works can't do it. We cannot have assurance because we're religiously active. Like, Please understand this. I think people try and try and try to give themselves assurance by just being religious. Like, come to church enough. That'll do it. Pray enough. Observe the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, get baptized. That if I'm just religious enough, if I can just do some things, keep the church calendar, if I can just do some things. But the Bible's full of examples of people, full of examples of people who were ultra religious, who were more religious than any of us will ever hope to be who lived their life every moment of it in the pursuit of religious perfection, and Jesus said that they were children of the devil. 
One of my pastors years ago said something I've never forgotten. He said, there are a lot of people who think they're saved who will knock the bottom out of hell when they die. And what he was saying is there's a lot of us in churches who just think we're going through the motions, but we can't have any assurance by that either because that has nothing to do at all with your salvation. Our only hope is to believe the gospel. I mean, look at it on the screen behind me and just understand that that the first thing, the very first thing is to say, I believe the gospel. Paul said, I preached it to you and you believed it. And you can believe that Jesus died for your sins as your substitute, that he was raised from the dead as confirmation that he accomplished his purposes, that he's ascended and is interceding for you and he will come again for you and rapture you into glory. I mean, that's the gospel. And you have no hope of assurance if you've never believed that. So the first step in having assurance is to believe the gospel. The second step, right out of those verses, is that we know we're saved. We know we're saved because our belief in the gospel is affecting the way that we live. It's changing the way that we live. Look again at verse 1 and verse 2 where Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received, there's step one, and now here's step two. In which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now I love this. I love the way that Paul talks about the gospel here in the present tense. Like we we talk about the gospel a lot of times and and what Christ is doing. And we, we love to talk about the past tense and we love to talk about the future. Right? We like this idea that I got saved somewhere in the past. We walked through this when we walked through the benefits of the believer. And, and someday I'm going home to glory. Someday I'm getting my crown. I'm, one of these days I'm going to get promoted and the sufferings of this life, Nick read it earlier, are not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in me. I love the past, the gospel, the future of the gospel. Well, what about the present tense? Of the gospel? And Paul talks about the gospel here as if it's a present reality in our life. Paul says it's the gospel you received in which you stand. What are you standing in? You're standing in the gospel. And by which you are being saved. Notice it's in the present. You are being saved day by day by the gospel. Day by day the gospel is affecting our daily lives. The Corinthian people as messed up as they were, their behavior was changing day by day because of the gospel. Things were different day by day. The way they treated others was changing day by day because of their belief in the gospel. They were growing day by day to become more like Jesus because they believed in the gospel. One of the most definite ways you can have assurance of your salvation And this will be a scary task for many of us. But one of the most definite ways you can have assurance of salvation is to know that you're growing and becoming more like Jesus. Like, take stock of your life. Take stock of your life. And here's an even better thing to do, is ask someone else to take stock of your life. Now, be careful who you ask. Now, there's some people I don't want to ask. 
But ask the people who love you and know you the most and have, have walked with you in life and who've seen your life day by day and the things that are going on in your life and start asking yourself some questions and allow them, ask them some questions. Ask, are you changing and growing because of your belief in the gospel? Are you a different person now than you were six months ago, than you were one year ago, than you were five years ago or ten years ago? Are you the same person? Because I'm convinced that the the teaching of the Bible is that if there's no change, there's no saving faith. But if there's saving faith, there will be change. Day by day, is there evidence that the gospel is impacting your life? Is there some evidence in your life? Like, take stock of yourself. If you want assurance, take stock of yourself. In the year... 1680 or 1619, in the the Dutch city of Dordrecht, a group of Christian theologians met and they were meeting there because there was a crisis emerging after the Protestant Reformation where some people, some theologians had gathered and some teachers had gathered and they began to teach a form of Christianity that was very dangerous. And I'll save you all the all the details of it except for one. And one of the things that they were teaching and that they were, uh, that they were militantly spreading throughout Europe and other places was this idea that, that a believer could never really have assurance of salvation. And that you and I, in our own sin, could very well lose our salvation. That there's no way to ever really be certain other than to daily... Confess and, and like I was doing when I was a kid, every day take stock of every sin. Don't miss anything. Make sure that you're completely forgiven day by day. And, and by all means, make sure you don't step in a well and fall in before you can ask forgiveness because there's no way that you can possibly have any assurance. And so these theologians all met together and they came up with what, what's known as, and many of us are probably unfamiliar with it, but it's a good read if you'd like to read it, the Canons of Dort. And in Article 12 of the first head of the doctrine, they said this, and listen to this, and listen to it in the context of what we've just said about you can know for sure that you're saved because the gospel is changing the way you live. And they said this in, in refuting the idea that you could not have assurance. They said the elect in due time, though in various degrees and different measures, attain the assurance of their eternal and unchanging election, not by inquisitively prying into the secret and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves with a spiritual joy and holy pleasure the infallible fruits of election pointed out in the Word of God. In other words, examine the fruit of your life if you want assurance of salvation. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 44, there no, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, but each tree is known by its fruit. So you can have assurance by asking yourself, is the gospel changing the way that I'm living? So believe the gospel Be changed by the gospel. And then the last thing that I think we see here in these verses is that we can know that we're saved because we persevere in our faith. In in, in Baptist circles, we've oftentimes talked about this idea of eternal security, and we've talked about it as the doctrine of eternal security. But in in most uh, uh, 
conservative uh, Christian uh, confessions, we've talked about this, even in our historic Baptist confessions, as the idea not of eternal security, but of the perseverance of the saints. We persevere. Now look again at verse 1, just one more time, look at it again. Where Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So there's number one and number two. You believe the gospel, you're standing in it, and day by day you're being affected by it. And then he says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now Paul says, if you hold fast, if you hold on, if you don't let go, if you persevere, Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, wait a minute. Stop. Pastor, you have now just contradicted everything you've said for the past two weeks. Because for the past two weeks, you've been saying that our salvation from beginning to end is 100% dependent on God. And last week we ended with the double-fisted promise of Jesus in John chapter 10 that said that He knows His sheep and He saves His sheep and He gives them eternal life and no one can snatch them out of His hand and no one can snatch them out of His Father's hand and I and the Father are one. And so now how could I possibly say that we have to hold on? That we have to persevere? Which is it? Is He holding on to us? Or are we holding on to Him? Which is it? Well, the answer is really not one or the other. It's both. But you have to understand it correctly. It's not a 50-50 thing here. It's not that He's holding on to me and I'm holding on to Him. Both. It's that I'm holding on to him because he's holding on to me. There's a difference. Many, many years ago, when Emma was little, we went to the beach. This is one of my finest parental moments. It's made one of my greatest sermon illustrations. I used it more times than I should, but it's just so good because even that day I... I thought of these things, but I, I went to the beach. And she was little. She, when she was little, she didn't like the water. I don't even know if she remembers that. But she didn't want to get in the ocean. She's a big scaredy cat, big sissy. I'm just saying that because she's looking at me right now. She wasn't. She didn't like to get in the water, in the ocean. She'd get in the pool, but not in the ocean. The waves were intimidating. And I can imagine that as a little person, waves are intimidating. And the water's cold and it's uncomfortable and all that stuff. So I thought, you know, as, as any good father should do, you have to... Push your children forward. Make them do things they don't want to so that they can experience life. And so I I eventually talked her into go out into the ocean. But you can go with me. And here's what we'll do is you get up on my back and just hold on to me. If you hold on to your dad, everything will be fine. Right? Just hold on to your father. I'll protect you. I won't let anything happen to you. Just hold so so after some convincing, she got up on my back and, and she wrapped her arms around my neck as tight as she could. And I was holding on to her little ankles here and 
And out we went. And you know, it never is enough for a dad to go ankle deep, take it a little at a time, and then go deep, knee deep. That doesn't quite do it. You know, you just got to prove the point that if you just hold on to me, there's nothing to be afraid of. And so she was holding on to me, and eventually we got out there just deep enough where she could really experience the crashing of the waves, and it was fun, and we were laughing, but as inevitably happens, anybody who's ever been swimming in the ocean, you know that no matter how hard you try, eventually, eventually, you're going to find yourself turning around, looking at a wave that's coming at you, and you know there's no way out. There's no way I'm getting through this one without getting crushed. And I turned and I looked and, and I knew immediately. And I said, I began to say things like this. Just hold on. Just hold on. Hold on. We're going to get wet. Just hold on. Hold on to me. Don't let go. And then, boom, the wave hit us and it crushed us. And you know what she did? She let go. Probably three or four years old. I mean, she was little. She let go. But I did not let go of her. And as the water was raging and roaring, I still had a hold of her. That must have been terrifying for her. But, but as soon as I gained my feet, I lifted her up out of the water, put her by her foot, <laughs> turned her around, put her back in my arms, and immediately retreated to receive the wrath of my wife. You know, like... <laughs> But as we're walking out of the water, get this picture, as we're walking out of the water, here she is holding on to me, and I'm holding on to her. I have not let go of her, and she's still holding on to me. By the time we got through it, she had been overcome in a moment by her fear. She had been crushed by the circumstances, all that. And for a moment, she let go. But as we walked out of the water, she was holding on again. And why was she still persevering? Why was she still holding on? Because I had never let go of her. And when you and I understand this idea of the perseverance of the saints, of God's people, you have to understand that when Paul says, hold fast to Him, that when Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to cling to Him, what he's saying is hold on to Him, but understand that He's always been holding on to you. And the only reason you ever hold on to Him is because He won't let go of you. That's the idea. She was holding on in the end because I never let go. And in the end, we'll be holding on. We'll be holding fast. We'll persevere because He never let go of us. All of God's people will eventually, in the end, persevere. The old London Baptist Confession. The oldest Baptist confession says this. And just listen to it and then we'll, we'll close. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercessions of Jesus Christ and the union with Him, the oath of God, the abiding of His Spirit, and the seed of God within them. Now if that was a mouthful, just understand that what he said is that the reason that we persevere is because God has done it. 
through Christ and sealed us in His Holy Spirit. And He's never let go of us. And the nature of the covenant of grace from all which rises also the certainty and infallibility thereof. And though, and though they may, listen, though they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of means of their per- perseverance fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their conscience wounded, hurt and scandalized by others and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. Stop. Again, I know it's a mouthful, but understand, he just gave us a picture of what I tried to illustrate when Emma got crushed by the waves. There will be moments of your life where you'll fall into sin and other things and other circumstances where you'll be crushed under them. And for a moment, you'll feel that God's displeasure, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit and you'll feel like you're falling away. But the final line is what you need to hear where it says, and yet they shall renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. Listen, this is hard, I know, for us to, to, really, to really understand and to really grab hold of. So maybe you ask me about this privately and we'll talk more. But one of the best ways, in fact, I think the best way to have assurance The best way to know for sure that you're saved without a shadow of a doubt. The best way to have assurance is to persevere in faith. If you're persevering in faith, then you're saved. So can I know for sure that I'm saved? Yes. We know for sure that we're saved because we believe the gospel. We know for sure that we're saved because the gospel is changing the way that we live. And in the end, when death comes calling, we'll know that we're saved without a doubt because we've persevered in our faith. Praise God. He's holding on to us.